Hey, good morning, everyone. How many of you like um, like new beginnings or starting fresh and, and just starting from the beginning, or or maybe you like um, uh, getting like something new? How many like when you get new clothes? There's just something about when you buy something new and you're like, I can't wait to wear it. It's something new. How many like if, if you're able to do this, get a new car? There's something about the new car smell, right? There's nothing like a new car smell. It's just it's 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 new. It just it smells new. There's something about new beginnings, fresh beginnings. I can remember when I was probably like nine years old, my parents um, bought a brand new car and they bought this 1975 uh, Chevrolet uh, Nova SS. It was orange. It was like it was like I was like the coolest kid on the whole block. I mean, this car was so cool until we spun it out on a bridge, on an icy bridge, and completely wrecked it. And it, we had to get another car, which we ended up getting a Chevette. So we went from a Nova to, I think, a Chevette. It was really kind of depressing. Um, uh, there, there, there's something about getting something new. And what I want to do is we're going to kind of, in this series, as we've been going through the story, um, we're going to kind of switch things up a little bit. So if, you, if you're going along the story, you say, hey, why is Pastor Barden talking about uh, the start of the church? We're supposed to be over here in this chapter. What we're going to do is we're going to end the whole story on Easter talking about the resurrection. And so that will be our, our, our last chapter in the story. So we're going to kind of flip some chapters around so we can end actually uh, on the resurrection on Easter Sunday, which is in just you know a few weeks. And so that's how we're going to do it. So, so don't get mad at me. Don't get confused if you feel like I skipped a chapter. I didn't. We're going to hit the resurrection um, on, on Easter. And, and so what we, what we are, we're in the part of the story, what I, I, which I want to talk about, as you saw in here, Jesus... Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, and, and, and we think like that is going to be like the end. Like what happens? His disciples are confused and, and they're like, you know, why? What's, what's going to happen after Jesus dies? Well, we know that Jesus, three days later, you know, rises from the grave, he conquers death, he conquers sin through the cross and through his resurrection. But that's not. The end of it, that actually was the beginning of really what God was going to do through the church and why you and I are sitting here today, that the work of Christ is completed through you and I. And what God does for you and I is he gives us this power through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you one just like me to come and dwell within you, to finish the work that I've accomplished with you. Yes, I'm going to leave for a time. I'm going to leave this earth, but I'm going to send another one just like me to indwell and empower the church to do the work that I've called you to do. And that's the empowering the Holy Spirit. And that's really what I, I want to uh, uh, jump on today because um, this work of the Holy Spirit is still at work in the church and in us today. And what Jesus does right before he leaves after um, his resurrection and he, he, he begins to teach the disciples again for 40 days before he ascends into heaven and he gives them some last minute instructions and uh, giving them these last minute instructions before he was to leave the earth. And some of these are the most powerful words for us to understand as the church, because Jesus says, I want you to remember these things. I want you to know this is what I'm about to do. And how many you know when, when you, for those of you that are parents, you, you give your, your kids instructions. Like I can remember 
um, when our kids went to school for the first time and they had to get on the, the bus for the first time. And how many of you parents, you know, you're out in the front of the driveway. You know, after a while, you're like, okay, get out of the house. And, you know, you, 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 know, you, you get the routine of the bus. When there when are these, you know, kindergartners, I remember Colby when he was just, a, you know, five years old and he's got his little lunch pail and he's, we're walking him down at the front and you're waiting for the bus to come and you're giving him these instructions like, Colby, sit in the front of, you know, the bus looks huge. You know, like, Colby, sit in the front of the bus, the very front seat, okay? Don't go to the back, because those are where the bad kids are. You sit right in the front of the seat, right by the, right by the bus drivers. I remember um, the first day Colby went to school, we gave him all these instructions on what to do, and then we put him on the bus, and, and all of a sudden I see Kathleen getting in the, in the van. I'm like, where are you going? She goes, oh, I'm following the bus. She followed the bus all the way. How many of you parents actually... Anybody like us followed the bus? Good. I don't feel bad. You followed the bus all the way to school to make sure you got off and, and got out of there. We're, we're, we're so controlling parents. But anyways, um, Jesus gives them these instructions. He's saying, listen, th- this, is, this is what you are to do. I want you to know uh, that I'm going to be with you, that I'm not going to leave you alone. And so he instructs them. So what I want to do is I want to jump into John 14, and uh, I want to talk about the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit and, and why the Holy Spirit is so important, not, not only for starting the church uh, 2,000 years ago, but for the church and for us here today. Listen, there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seems like that ugly stepsister, the third on the rung that we never talk about sometimes. But the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. It's part of the Trinity. It's, it, it's part of the life and the breath of the church. And the Bible speaks so much about the person of the Holy Spirit. So I want to look at the work of the Holy Spirit, specifically in the early church and how it propelled the early church. And how does the Holy Spirit look today? How should it look in the church today and, 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 and more importantly, in our own personal lives, how does that work? So let's jump, let's look at some, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. So I just, I want to prepare you guys, so get ready, buckle your seatbelts, and uh, let's look at some scripture. First, I want to look at John 14, and I want to look at how Jesus promised the Holy Spirit's uh, promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. In verse 15 and 17, Jesus says, If you love me, and, and you keep my commandments... And I will ask the Father, and I will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here's a couple things I want to look at. If you've got your Bibles, under, underline helper or counselor. Um, This is very important. I want to dissect this for you because Jesus promised his disciples that he's going to send another helper to be with them forever. The the helper is the Holy Spirit. In other translations, maybe in your Bible, it says counselor. And I want to look at these two words for you when Jesus uses the word another and he uses the word helper or counselor. There's a couple things I want you to understand here because this is vital for us to understand this as believers and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus uses this word another. I'm going to send you another who will come after me. Now, this word another can take on two different types of meanings. It can mean one of the uh, very same kind, meaning same everything, duplicate, exact character or characteristics, 
or it can mean many times one of another kind or a different kind. Now, the word in the Greek here is the word alos, which means very same kind. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one of the same kind. What Jesus is telling them is this. I will send you one just like me. In every way, the Holy Spirit is just like me. And, and, and it will be as if I'm here with you because we are exactly the same. Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me in John 14, 10. And he says this exact imprint of my nature. I am God himself. And I'm going to send you one just like me. I like what the, uh, the English Standard Version study note says about this, about the Trinity. It says, Jesus remains a distinct person within the Trinity, as does the Holy Spirit. And yet they still constitute only one being in three persons. You see this perfect alignment of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all being one and, and all constituting three persons. And so the Holy Spirit would be Jesus' uh, representative here on earth. So he says, I'm sending you another one, not different, but just like me. And then he uses the word helper or, or this counselor. And in the Greek language, it's the word parakleo. And, and basically, it's two words together. It's a compound. Para meaning alongside of. And, and, and kleo meaning to call or to aid, to help, to comfort, to encourage. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is our advocate. He's the one that helps us. He's the one that gives us strength. It's like a, a lawyer or a counselor, someone who's going to defend you, one who's going to stand alongside of you. Um, I can remember um, my son, Wesley, who's a sophomore. He was playing football, and his brother, Colby, was a senior, was playing football with him. And I remember Wesley uh, sprained his ankle on a play, and so he's, he's limping off the field. And, you know, of course, we're like, is, is he okay? And, and I remember his, uh, his teammates were alongside of him. His brother got alongside him. They're, they're hitting him on the helmet, hit, hitting him on the shoulder, saying, Col or Wesley, you'll be all right. You know, just we're going to help you off the side. And they're all helping him. They were alongside of him. They were helping him, helping him limp off the field. Now, for his mom, Kathleen, and grandma, they wanted to run out in the field and take care of the little baby, right? And I was like, hold on, ladies. Just let the coach do what he needs to do. He's going to be fine. We're going to make it through. We took him, got x-rays, and he just uh, sprained his ankle. But I remember all his teammates coming alongside of him and helping him. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus, there's going to be one that's going to come right alongside of you. That's going to be your counselor. That's going to be your helper. Not, not only is he going to come alongside of you, but he's going to live in you. And there are so many functions of the Holy Spirit, and he lifts us up in so many ways. And I want to look specifically at how the Holy Spirit launched the church into the world. In the beginning of Acts, Luke records Jesus' last words for us before he ascends into heaven. And how many know people's, usually their last words are pretty important. And here's what Jesus speaks in his last words. In Acts, um, the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, we see Jesus speaking to his disciples. And, and I want you to see these words of Jesus and how important they are for us in the church today. He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said you had heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not 
many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But in verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now what's amazing or incredible about this passage is what Jesus says to his disciples before he left the earth. He says these are the very last words before Jesus was taken into heaven. And, and there's some very crucial things for us to understand here. You see, what's interesting as he speaks this to his disciples uh, they're asking him the question um, about the times. And they're asking him the question, hey, are you going to restore um, Israel? Um, you know, they're asking questions about how they're living right now. And, and, and to them, they think this is important. And, and Jesus flips all their questions around to what's really important. So they're asking questions like, hey, you know, are you going to restore Israel? Are, you know, gas prices going to go down? Is the stock market going to go up? You know, they're asking real important questions like, will the Bills ever win the Super Bowl again? Will they ever get to the Super Bowl again? You know, a lot of great trade picks this year, people. Still need a quarterback. But anyways, let's move on. Um, but what is Jesus focused on? They're looking at the here and now. Are you going to restore um, Israel right now? Are you going to restore it? And, and what Jesus does is he, he flips it around. He focuses on what's very important. He says, this is what's most important. Right now, you are to wait. You're, just wait. And, and here's why you're to wait. I want you to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And here's the reason why. Whether or not he was going to restore Jerusalem is not the main point. It's not going to help them personally. Yes, eventually that would happen and will happen as we've seen in times. But he says, what's most important is this, is that without the Holy Spirit, the church can do nothing. Listen, you can have all this knowledge about end times and how things are going to work out. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, the church can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, the church would be like any other organization. Um, we, the Holy Spirit, it, 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 he said, will come upon you. It's going to empower you to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to separate you from every, every other organization. And you're going to see my power work through you to change lives. So to stand tall, this Holy Spirit will help them proclaim the gospel message that, that Christ has come to set them free from the bonds of sin and death. So, so they do as Jesus says, and, and, and they go to Jerusalem and they begin to pray and they begin to wait for this promise of, of the Holy Spirit. And we understand that in the Old Testament... The Holy Spirit moved on people on certain occasions. The, the Holy Spirit moved on certain people when God directed it. However, the promise of this Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is not only going to dwell with you, but it's actually going to come upon you and dwell within you. And here are some of the promises of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church from the Old Testament. I like this uh, vision and um, 
prophecy from the book of Ezekiel, from the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Uh, listen to what Jesus says. He says, I will, or listen to what God says through his word and what he's going to do through the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And listen to what he says. Here's the promise. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And so what God is saying is, and what Jesus is telling these disciples, and the reason why he's telling them to wait to them empowered with the Holy Spirit, he's saying, listen, the day is coming when my presence will be in you, not just with you, but actually will be in you. You see, remember that God's presence dwelt within the tabernacle in the Old Testament. They could see it with their very own eyes. A cloud enveloped the temple and we could see the glory of God among them. In the New Testament, God would say, now your bodies would become actual temples of the Holy Spirit. Well, you're not going to just see my glory at a distance or envelop the temple. But actually, my glory is going to rest upon you. Not only rest upon you, but my glory is going to rest in you. And give you power to be my witnesses wherever you go. And so one of the greatest prophecies speaking to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is found in the book of Joel. In fact, Peter quotes this very uh, chapter on the day of Pentecost when God gave the Holy Spirit to the church. Now the Feast of Pentecost was the second annual harvest festival uh, celebrated 50 days after the Passover. So we see all these people gathered together. They're, They're gathered together to celebrate um, uh, this this festival. And so there's thousands of people that are gathered in, in Jerusalem. And it's at this time, the Feast of Pentecost, that God decides to pour out his spirit among those 120 people that are seeking God to launch them into the world, to, to start uh, the church. And so as you listen to the prophecy of Joel, note that God pours out his spirit on everyone. This promise is not just for a few This promise is for everyone who comes to Christ. This promise is for the church in general that seeks the face of God. Not for a select few. The promise is for all who come to Christ, all who are followers of God. So this is pretty exciting because what he says, Joel says it's young, it's old, it's men, it's women, it's all who come to the Lord. And this prophecy is found in Joel 2, 28-29. It says this. It says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So what happens on the day of Pentecost is this very thing that the prophet Joel prophesied hundreds of years earlier would happen. That God at this moment, on the day of Pentecost, those 120 believers that are gathered in Jerusalem, praying at the temple, God would pour out his spirit upon those believers and the promise would be fulfilled right before their very eyes. And, what's, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 through 1 through 4, we see what happens when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Verse 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were, where they were s- sitting. And they saw what seems to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
fulfilling what Jesus would say that he would baptize them in fire. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So including the disciples, there was this 120 that were gathered there praying and waiting for this promise. And here's the amazing thing about the day of Pentecost. When it came, boy, did it come. There would be absolutely no way that they would say, hmm, is this it? You know, you got tongues of fire that are, have separated and fallen on each one. You see this amazing miracle that's happening before them. They, there's no doubt that they would say, geez, I wonder if this is what God was talking about. They knew this was, this was a spectacle. In fact, it was such a spectacle that the people that were, that were gathered there on the, for the festival of Pentecost were like, what is going on with those people? It, it, it amazed them. Because the very tongues they were speaking were the very language of all those people that were gathered from all the nations around them that were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate that festival. So they're like, how are these common Galileans know our language? It was a miracle that happened before them. And God used this to perk the interest of all those that were seated around them for this festival. No one in that place would second guess, is this it? They knew. And what was incredible was the fact that God enabled them to speak with these other tongues or other languages. And so gathered in that same area with all these pilgrims that came from all over the Mediterranean and the Middle East to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And so God used this very time when thousands were gathered to show them what I'm about to do and to fulfill the prophecies of my spirit being poured out on the church. It was such a spectacle that the people were wondering what was going on. And so the very languages of all these thousands that were gathered were, were being spoken to them. And so they wondered how these uneducated people knew how to speak their languages. And some thought they were drunk because it was so early in the day. And it was at this point that Peter stands up, and you can read it for yourself, in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and begins to preach to the crowd and tell them that this is all a fulfillment of Scripture. That the Bible tells us that those who received his word were baptized and 3,000 were added to the church. I would call that a move of God. Amen. That's the promise. God said this is what's going to happen. And 3,000 were added unto the church. And what's incredible about this is that those who believed would go back to their country and then share the message of Christ. The gospel message at this point would spread like wildfire. And what they would see is this fulfillment of Acts 1.8 when Jesus said, but listen, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This very thing was now fulfilled before them. Now, here, here's, here's the question that I want to pose to you today. If you read through the book of Acts, you will see the very thing of what the Holy Spirit did. You'll see the Holy Spirit, if you look at like uh, chapters uh, 1 through 7, you see the Holy Spirit working through the church in Jerusalem. If you read Acts 
8 through 12, you see how it worked in Judea and Samaria. And then if you read Acts 13 through 28, you see how the Holy Spirit worked through the ends of the earth and how it began to spread even as far as Rome. And Paul eventually wanted to go to Spain. And you see how it began to flourish from Jerusalem where it started and and begin to flourish further and further out from that original place where those 120. And now you and I are sitting here because of that original work of the Holy Spirit some 2,000 years ago. Isn't that amazing? And God is still working through his church, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So here's the question. Here's the question that, that I want to pose to you this morning. It, it, was the Holy Spirit, the outpouring and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just for the early church? Was it just for those group of people and the early disciples to, to begin to, to, to launch the church? I would say to you, unequivocally, no. I would say that the Holy Spirit is still working through the church. The Holy Spirit still desires to fill and to baptize individual believers to walk in the power and the fullness of what God has for us. That God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us gifts so that we can uh, better establish church and build up the church and encourage the body of Christ so that we can continue the work of the Lord. We need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit each and every day in our lives. We can't do it without him. If we're going to truly have a move of God, we can't do it without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit helping us. So the question I want to pose to you today, and this time I'm going to just wrap it up. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And if you're taking notes, this would be a great, great time to take notes because I'm just going to give you four things real quick for the, for the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And then we're just going to close in song and just ask the Lord to fill us anew and afresh today. So, so what is the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit? First of all, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give you power to be God's witnesses. The book of Acts is, is a record of the acts of the apostles working in the power of the Holy Spirit. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give you power to be his witnesses. And that's what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, and that's what it is to be in the church today. So, so here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Why do I need the Holy Spirit? Why do I need the working of the Holy Spirit in my lives? Let me give you four things real quick here. And if you're, if you're jotting down notes, this would be a good time to do it because I, I want you to understand why we need the Holy Spirit. Here's the reason why we need the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit comforts and guides us Jesus says, and that's recorded for us in John 14, 16. He comforts us. He helps us. He guides us. He strengthens us in all the ways that Jesus taught the disciples. The Holy Spirit does that in our lives. The second thing the Holy Spirit does for us that's so important and so vital is that he intercedes for us and he helps us. This is what I love about the Holy Spirit. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses in Romans, It says, we do not know ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts know the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So he helps us to pray. When we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit is there to help us to pray and intercede through us. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is he teaches us and instructs us. It says, Jesus says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in John 14, 26, will teach you all things and remind you everything that I have said to you. He will teach you. He will instruct you. And the fourth thing the Holy Spirit does is he provides us with gifts 
to build up the church. I love Romans 12, 6 through 8. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in according with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then, then, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. See, this is what the Apostle Paul tells us. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, what, and what he's saying is this is a, a present imperative, which means continually be filled. It's not a, a one-time thing. I want you to notice that on the day of Pentecost, yes, the early church was, was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was this baptism with fire that came upon them that was evident with, with, with the tongues and the language that was given to them. But, but if you read through the, the, the rest of Acts, there was a continual filling of the church with the power of the Holy Spirit to finish the work that God desired them to do. It wasn't a once and for all thing. See, what happens is we're like leaky helium balloons sometimes, right? We, we, we leak and, and we need that continual filling of God's presence in our lives each and every day if we're going to continue the work of the Lord. So the question is, here, here's my question as we pray and as we just close in song today. My question to you here today is that the reason why the early church was so powerful and did such dramatic things for God is that they were prompted by the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life. They were open to it. They received it. God blessed them and God moved in their lives. And I think for us, sometimes we can get in a rut in our lives and we can get spiritual, spiritually dry. And we can say, well, pastor, I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm doing, you know, I got all the check marks. I checked all the box. I'm doing all these things. But why do I still feel dry in my life? Why do I, why do I still feel just like I'm just going through the motions and, and I, I, I don't have this ambition. I don't feel this power in my life. I don't feel the Holy Spirit talking to me or moving in my life. My, here's my answer to you. Maybe you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. Maybe you need to open up your life and say, God, just fill me with your spirit again. I want you to speak to me. I, 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 I want to be moved by your spirit. I, I want your spirit to prompt me to, to work through my life. I, I, I don't want to be just that, that, that clinical Christian where I just do the ABCs, but, but just live this unemotional and just dry walk with you, Lord, that I'm just going through the motions. If you read through the book of Acts, you see how incredibly the Holy Spirit worked through the lives of the disciples and those that followed him, prompting them to do this and to do that, prompting them to wake up in the middle of the night to pray for certain things, prompting them to, 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 to be used in the gifts in the Spirit so that they could encourage the body of Christ. You know, ask God, God, I, I want to be moved by you. I want you to speak through my life. You know, there are times that the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you just to encourage somebody or to pray for somebody. You wake up in the middle of the night, you're just like, man, I, I just feel prompted to, to pray for somebody. That, that's the prompting of, of the Holy Spirit. We need that power in our lives. If you feel weak in your witnessing ability, right? I can give you all the witnessing techniques in the whole world, but how many you know we need the power of the Holy Spirit to give us boldness to speak his word? Because otherwise it's going to fall on deaf ears. And so we need that power and that boldness. I can, 
remember when I was a teenager for the first time witnessing the 1984 Olympic Games in L.A. And I remember we just went on the streets and just began to share uh, the love of Jesus. Now, I was only a Christian for about a year. And I remember talking to my, my pastor, youth pastor, going and saying, I am so afraid because what if they ask me a question that I don't know? Or, you know, I, I'm only been a Christian for a year. I don't have all the answers. And he says, Barton, just share your heart. Share what Jesus did for you. Share the message that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Just, just share your heart with people. Share the gospel message and how it changed your life. And this is what he did. He goes, Barton, and I'm going to pray for you that the Holy Spirit would give you boldness and that you wouldn't walk and timidity. And I remember him laying his hands on me and just praying for me and asking for the Holy Spirit to fill me and give me his power. And I'll tell you what, there was a difference in my life because of that. Now, was I still nervous? Sure, but I knew that the Holy Spirit was with me and guiding me. And I can remember the first person I talked to was somebody that was visiting uh, the Olympics from France spoke very well English. And I can remember I just began to speak and the Holy Spirit just gave me the words to share with this man. He's like, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 17. He goes, how do you know so much about the Bible? Because I was, you know, raised in the church and he goes, you know, I've walked away from God. How much, you know, why do you know so much about, you know, and we just began to talk. And I can remember right there on the street, in the streets of LA, I prayed with this man to come to Jesus all the way from France. See, only the Holy Spirit could do that because a year before that, before I was saved, if you were going to ask me if I was going to be on the streets of L.A. sharing about Jesus, I would have said, you're nuts. Only God can change us. Only God can do that. We need a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit in our life. Let's keep in step with the Spirit moving in our lives. So I want you to stand this morning. And uh, the worship team is going to lead us in song today. And we're going to worship today. And I want to pray for you today because maybe you're here today. Maybe you just said, you know, Pastor, I just need that fresh filling. And God is here. God is able. God is wanting to do that. God is, is willing to do that. There's, there's no gifts that God's going to uh, uh, keep from his children that come asking. So, so let's just ask God to do that. So I want you to bow your hearts with me today. And uh, let's just ask God just to... Just to do that very thing. Maybe you're here and you feel dry today. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm just, you know, my walk with the Lord's not where it's supposed to be. And, and, and God, I just need that, I need that fresh filling from you today. I desire that today. And just light that fire in my heart today that only through your Holy Spirit can that happen. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we need you. And Lord, we can't do it without your spirit. And I pray today for every person that's here today that feels dry, that, that feels like they're just in a rut. And I, and I pray, God, that you would give them a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit today. Fill them with that empowerment, Lord, that they can go forth and, and have an excitement in, in their life that otherwise cannot be there. Give them a new excitement for your word to... Share what Christ has done in their hearts and their lives, God. So we need your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill this church. God, I pray that you would enable your people with gifts from your Holy Spirit that would build your body up, God. 
So as we seek your face, God, we, Lord, we want to be in step with your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, as Paul said, Lord, we want to yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. So we ask you to come. We ask you to fill us anew and afresh. We ask for that boldness to be your witnesses. And we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans. Thank you that you love us today. We just give you the glory and the honor and the praise as you fill us today as we seek your face. In Jesus' wonderful name we ask these things. Amen.